you are meow listening to the meow animal control report with your hosts ashley bishop and daniel ettinger would you expect anything different bishop have you even seen super troopers have i even seen i was in super troopers you were not in. (laughs) no i I wasn't i was not in it however um i have actually believe it or not that's a movie i have seen yes i have okay yeah, so I mean, I got my own reference that I was making there. Okay, I'm glad because yeah. I would have been incredibly sad if you had it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to have a good show today. This is the Animal Control Report podcast, and we have a good guest that we're going to talk to in a few about TNR, Community Cat. So I'm excited to get into that. Do you do TNR in Wisconsin? Um, it's not a Wisconsin thing, it is jurisdictional. Oh, and, interesting. Okay. Uh, one of my jurisdictions allows for it out of the four that you deal with correct and then what about cows like because i feel like there's so many cows up there do you trap neuter release cows or do you just let them do their thing we don't have free range cows those are a little <laughs> too expensive to be just letting room free <laughs> though i'm sure some do get out of their pasture at times yeah um yeah and the strange thing is is i don't ever have to deal with them Personally, when they're out in the county, it's when they actually make their way into the city. Mm. Um, I mean, I have rural areas, but... Sure. Uh, the, the sheriffs or somebody deals with that? It depends. They've never been in my jurisdiction. And out in the county, like out I see what in the saying. rural areas, they somehow come into the city. I see. Okay. We had them at an uh, art museum once. <laughs> well... Check out our website, keepithumane.com. You, you, you can use, I can't talk, you can use AC Report or, yeah, AC Report for 10% off your purchase. So check out our shop there and buy a lot of stuff because it's cool stuff. Who doesn't want to buy animal control related items and gifts, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, don't forget to like, share, and rate said podcast. Uh, we appreciate that. As you like to say, like, share, and rate us. Do you, th- you really think that there's a share and rate us out there in the yes, world? Yes, I found her. Oh, you actually found her? <laughs> I found her a long time ago when Hildy was still here. Wow. Hildy. Uh, that's a long time ago. That is. Well, yeah. I, I have a quick TNR story for you. So okay. several years ago, I was uh, releasing a cat back into an area, and we were just starting TNR. And I'm sure many people can relate to something like this. Uh, I basically pick an area close to where the cat was trapped, right? Really close. And I'm in the alleyway and I let the cat out. And sure enough, I get back to the office and they're like, Hey, we got a call. Somebody saw a guy in a white (laughs) truck with a blue shirt on releasing a cat (laughs) in the alleyway. (laughs) And it's so common. You hear that stuff all the time. I don't know if you've ever experienced any of that. We didn't have um, anybody call it in, but I, I did have one of my CSOs actually finally pay attention to the fact that the cat was ear tipped and it was one of those oh. parties that would not have, um, the, the original trapper was not one that would have been too keen on the cat being released. So he did also have to go somewhere else and, and release the cat. But Interesting. Well, I mean, I think it's just important to understand the benefits. I know people aren't, fans of it as well they don't think maybe it works and so we're going to find more when we get our guest on here in a second so i just i've you know i've been around it for a long time and i think it um it can work and i I think if you've done the right way you know i think that's what's important right you don't just like 
do, you know, just just throw cats back in the alleyway and have people um, call the shelter like, oh, my goodness, you know. Well, and I actually had a incredibly hard situation two years running. I'm actually I'm waiting for another text message round to come through because we had people that did it the right way. They went through the process that we require. They were providing shelter for the cats. They got them TNR'd and the neighbor across the street blew a fucking gasket. What ha- Wait, what happened? The, the neighbor across the street was upset that these cats were out there. Okay. To the point that he started getting city council involved and threatening to do things to the cats. He didn't want the cats on his property. We gave him options like, hey, here's what we can do to keep them off your property. You know, we've got the stuff that if you've got any places that they've sprayed, we'll, we'll get that cleaned up. Sure. And nope, nope, I don't want any of that. I just want the cats gone. And his only answer was for the cats to be gone. Just basically round them up, right? They're like, yep. round them up, euthanize them, and be done with the problem. He didn't. They had to be rounded up and removed. He didn't care what happened to them, okay. whether it was euthanized or moved somewhere else. And I had, I was involved my command staff, the captain, it got brought up to the chief of police. It got brought to the mayor. It got brought to our city council. Like, dude was unreasonable. And then equally, the uh, people who did the TNR became just as stubborn and are like, no, we're not going to do anything. Um, so for two years, I dealt with this back and forth and it was always around summertime. He didn't seem to notice them so much during the winter. Okay. Um, and it got to the point where there was finally a farm found where the cats could go. And the family that did the TNR wasn't really moving quite as quickly as anybody would have wanted to see. Cause they were digging their heels in, of course. So I had to, get one, maybe two cats trapped and transport them to another city that was, I, it was a hour and a half drive one way for me. Wow. Just to get these cats removed to try to make peace in this, in the neighborhood. Um, it was absolutely ridiculous. It sounds ridiculous. Well, I think let's bring on our our guest today from the Community Cats podcast, that's Stacey LeBaron. How you doing today? Great. Thank you for Thank having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. And you you have been on the show once before when it was the Humane Roundup. And it's I think it's always good to, you know, rehash some of this stuff about cats and, and the community pets and things of that nature. Did I just call them community pets? Community cats? I mean, they could be considered pets, right? Uh, yeah, most, I mean, most definitely, you know, we all have a relationship with the cats in the community, you know, sure. lighter in some cases, heavier in other cases. Um, so they can be considered, I mean, I know language can be important to some people, but in, in my case, um, you know, as long as you're out there, you're advocating for them. Um, I am okay with the words that you use in most cases. 
So just really quick for our listeners, it's communitycatspodcast.com. You can go right there and we'll have a link in the show notes as well about the podcast. But you're doing a lot of good things. You know, education is clearly one of your, I would say, probably big things about about this. Can you talk a little bit about just the podcast and how it's formatted for uh, raising awareness for community cats? Sure. Yes. Uh, so the Community Cats podcast is a weekly podcast. We've been on the air since June of 2016. So we are over 500 episodes. And basically the reason for starting the podcast was I really wanted to create a a space for people to turn their passion for cats into action. So if you are animal control, if you are an individual, if you are part of a large humane society or a large organization, if you're part of a TNR group, if you're a veterinarian, a technician, pretty much anybody that's out there and is caring for for cats, whether it's their own house cat or outdoor cat, we all will run into instances and situations where we'll find a cat and we'll be like, well, what should we do here? And so really wanted to be able to provide those resources so that anybody could find access to the information that they needed at any given time to be able to to do what's best uh, for that cat or for that situation that they're involved with. So we do have the podcast We also offer 26 online events during the course of the year, webinars, and we have a Community Cats Grants program for small organizations to help them raise funds to pay for spay and neuter um, for TNR cats. And, you know, we have a whole range of of other sort of side, smaller programs, but I would say those those are sort of our marquee programs that that we have. Um, And we're thrilled to be partnered with... um, you know, with, with NACA for our TNR certification workshops um, and and our other education for continuing education credits. That actually has just happened within the last few months, and we're just uh, thrilled to bits and pieces about that. Nice. That's fantastic. And some of our listeners who don't may, maybe know what NACA stands for. It is the National Animal Care and Control Association. Stacy, you heard my story. Yep. You've got to deal with people that are absolutely just unable to be dealt with. How how could we have potentially handled this differently? I, I acted on the dis, at the discretion of my supervisors and did what I was told to do um, as far as, you know, removing them. And we got actually all the cats to one central place, so they still got to stay together. Um, and she had actually a very nice setup and knew what she was doing about reintroducing them into the farm. But how do you deal with the people that just don't want them around? Right. Yeah. It's uh, it it does take a, a lot of time and energy. And and I applaud you for the work that you did to come uh, out with a as best of a possible solution that you could have at that particular time. Because as we do know, with our uh, community cat situation, there's an evolution that sometimes happens and it's organic and and things change. People move in and out of a community and some people may be responsive to cats, then they move out and someone moves in and they're less responsive to those cats. And so uh, there is so much um, in this trying to get the overall general community as a baseline supportive and understanding of TNR before TNR is even needed, trap, neuter, return, before it's even needed. So there were a couple of things that that you shared 
that that I'd just like to kind of highlight a little bit, which was you were talking about how in the wintertime, the complaints went down. They were less of a of an issue. And and I think this is true in situations where people may take in too many cats into their house in a particular time. Usually those complaints also come out more in the summertime than in the wintertime. But I feel very strongly that the winter time is when we should be most active working with those folks to try and reduce the overall cat population so that then when you are going into the summer months, the number of cats that you would have there inevitably would be reduced because of the fact that they were sterilized. So basically when the, when the world is quiet is when we want to be active and out there promoting TNR as much as possible so that we're not at that point where it's at a juncture of just get them out. Let's work ahead of time. Let's get ahead of it and work proactively and also work if any of these cats are quasi owned, making sure that they have access to spay neuter, you know, from low cost or affordable owned cat spay neuter before they become that the Adam and Eve that gets released and becomes part of a community cat group. Um, so that's that was one part of the conversation that um, that that story that was kind of brought up to me. And and again, going back is I think we should all have a basket of stock photos or stock mm-hmm. graphics that we're just putting out there all the time to have a herd mentality that TNR is our option um, and really market that out before it becomes a case by case issue. Um, and lastly, I would just say very clearly say, you know, if these cats are to be removed, that euthanasia is probably a high, a high chance unless there is an alternative. So, you know, and, but if there is an alternative and you're spending your time moving these cats to a barn, there's probably another colony that might be in a more dire situation that's not going to have that positive outcome. So Stacey, you know, are, just be clear on that too. Are you familiar with the story of Nathan Wintergrad, the the guy who kind of came up with the no kill slogan? Yes, I am. Yep. So I was watching, I was doing some research and watching a, a video, and what what I didn't know at that time, obviously, was there was a a pretty big issue with community cats at like UC Berkeley, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. and they started the TNR program there, and they saw a rapid reduce in the population of feral cats on the college campus. Right, right. And, and, and I have the, the Newburyport story where uh, we started out with 300 cats in um, 1992 on the Newburyport waterfront with 14 feeding stations. And by 2008, the last feeding station was closed and we have wow. more community cats. And that's- What, what was uh, the start? Wait, what was the start year? The start year was we started the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society in 1992. Okay. Um, we started doing the first year, 100 to 125 adult cats, friendly adult cats, and kittens were pulled off the waterfront. So that colony immediately was reduced almost by you know 35%. So okay. anytime you go into a TNR situation, your colony size is going to reduce by nature of just what's there. You're not returning everybody. That's, that's just not a viable world. Okay. Um, so you, you will have colony reduction size. And, um, and so that was 1992. And by 2008, um, all 14 feeding stations were closed. And the last member of that, of that group uh, had passed away. So not like naturally through creating an environment where they're not reproducing, they were able to live out their lives and then, you know, once basically once that last feeding station is yep. closed, it's there's there's probably no likelihood unless somebody like intentionally lets out a, a cat right. that is 
unaltered and then it starts all over again, right? Right. And I mean, we did in the early days have situations where people would abandon cats at the feeding stations thinking, oh, this was, you know, my only option, my best option. And we actually, we did have a, uh, an adoption center in the area and we changed our protocols so that we became uh, an open admission, no kill organization for 10 service area towns. Okay. So that, that if there was any cat in need, we publicized, if there was any cat in dire need, we would be there and we would accept that cat. And then if there, so we would still have cats left in carriers sometimes on our porch, but they were left at the shelter. They were not abandoned at the feeding station, which was what we were trying to, you know, get away from because we don't want to spend our resources and time having to trap that cat to inevitably just bring it into our adoption program. And so we worked together with the community to try and have a dialogue and a conversation as to what will be, um, you know, helpful for all of us. So if someone's saying, I'm going to move, I'm going to, I have to find placement for my cat. I'm moving in August. Please call us in June so we can plan and arrange and and get an action plan together or do a home to home placement, something like that. Keep that cat out of the system so that then the emergency cats, they can come and come into the physical system and get the help that they need. And that changed a lot of the behavior down on those feeding stations. We had cameras, we had volunteers feeding, twice a day. We had IDs for all the cats. Cats had names and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and, you know, I can get into for a long period of time, what it's like for an aging community cat population and what the decisions are around that, which is a whole nother, you know, big conversation that, that some organizations are, are facing right now, but, um, yeah, so, and we are very heavy on microchips in that area. So the cats that are indoor outdoor and somebody that brings them in, um, we will be very strict about trying to return that cat to the owner. Um, and if they're not microchipped, we make sure they get microchipped before they go back because we do have some frequent flyers. And for me, bringing that up really was to to discuss that it actually, like there is proof that it works. Like some yeah. people will say, it, well, it doesn't work. And I mean, we, we can show that, yes, it does based on the, these yep. scenarios that we've shown that it does work. How do you get across to people, though, that are impatient and don't want to wait 16 years to get this issue, in, in their mind, this issue fixed? Right. Well, yeah, so it's um, it, very, you know, very good question. I think that the, there's this, like, idealized image that, oh, you trap them, you remove them, and then, you know, the party's over. Well, it's not. And so you know, it starts right up again. In the case of Newburyport, there was a dumpster that 30 cats were living out of. In 1990, they were trapped, removed, and euthanized. By 1992, there were another 30 plus cats living out of that dumpster. That organization was called again to come back in to do the trap and euthanasia. And the organization that did it said, we're not coming back because it's been just two years. Obviously, it didn't work. So you're going to have to figure something else out. So we, you know, we actually started as it's a business, it was a business solution because it's a very, it was a very touristy town, lots of restaurants. Um, the chamber of commerce was our first phone number. So we were kind of launched from within the business community, the, the Merrimack river feline rescue society, which was the organization I ran for 16 years. And, um, actually that helped us a lot because having businesses on your side is a really positive thing from, you know, legislative standpoint from city council, from public health. It just brought all the parties together at the beginning so that we were on the journey together rather than being, you know, we're just this like small TNR group or I'm an isolated animal control officer. It's, it's getting everybody on board in agreement that TNR is the platform they're going to use because the other options just didn't work. 
All right, Stacey, I want to play the skeptic because I, gar- I guarantee we've got some out there. And, and, and if I'm being 100% honest, I've never 100% sold myself to TNR. Okay. So let's take this dumpster. And I know that there's a lot of talk about the vacuum effect that if you take animals out, you euthanize them, more are going to come in. But how do you stop that vacuum effect? Because eventually when one dies off, why wouldn't another one replace it from somewhere else? Because that's the food source. Right. So you're asking how did those new cats replicate come in there into that space? Is that well, what you're asking? They, those ones came from other areas in the city, I presume. Or were right. So the ones that right, the ones that refilled into the the, the after the thirty were moved. This was a, a small community area. I mean, we're talking probably three miles by two miles if we're going to use like a box environment. Um, so some of those other cats moved over from where they were congregating to expand, and then they built up a new group. You know, at that at that dumpster. Um, so that's what the vacuum effect is like at the fact that we did not have a vacuum effect in Newburyport after doing such aggressive trap neuter turners because we have the power of monitoring. So anytime an Adam or an Eve cat, you know, was left behind or community options weren't available, then we would have to, um, you know, we, we, because of that, we were able to remove anybody that was, you know, that needed to be removed and put up for adoption, we would do that. Um, so the the biggest issue for success, if you want to have full time success in this environment, is providing accessible, affordable, low cost spay neuter options in the owned cat community because they're your supply source. Mm-hmm. So that's, in all of in all of our pets and our dogs and our cats. I mean, I think that's super important. Uh, we don't have to go down that right now, but you're a hundred percent right. Right. So the reason for Newburyport success not isn't necessarily because of our TNR program. It's because we started our Catmobile program, which was a mobile spay neuter clinic for cats, for owned cats. By we started a, a free spay neuter program for feral cats in 2000, and by 2008, the intake numbers into the shelters uh, from an, from a cat standpoint, an adult cat standpoint, as well as kitten standpoint, did not move the needle at all. And so we're like, well, what's going on here? And it's a function of numbers, high numbers, really high numbers, as well as getting those cats and those kittens when they're owned. So spay neuter before adoption, huge. Also spay neuter of owned cats um, and owned kittens in the community is also huge. And that was what moved the needle in terms of your sort of cat population challenges that our animal welfare organizations were faced with. Um, back in in the early 2000s. When we talk about kittens specifically, if we're, let's just say you TNR or trap and you get mom and a bunch of, I'll just do like three, four week old kittens. Mm -hmm. Are we we imprinting and trying to make those adoptable pets or are we eventually going to put those back out? 
So mom, mom and kittens. So um, I know that everybody is looking for me to say, okay, at 12 weeks old, 12 weeks and younger, kittens are going to go into foster care, get socialized, put up for adoption. And at 12 weeks and you know, older than 12 weeks, kittens are going to just get put back. Um, I unfortunately have to say it's not as easy as that. Okay. It is, you really have to understand where they're coming from, the source that they're coming from. Um, because if you've got a third generation feral cat, kitten, you know, mom's feral, kitten is, you know, grandma's feral, mom is feral, kitten is also feral. I'm going to tell you an eight to nine week old kitten is going to be a really tough one to socialize. But, Isn't there a stat though that says under seven weeks you can flip them? So I, I, I think that's a generality. Okay. Um, you know, I think that it's prob- probably the case. It depends. You know, it all depends. I've, I personally have run into situations where there's just, it's like a no-go. But Got it. it's probably in the 3 to 5% range of the kittens that, you know, I've dealt with. I just think it's important for us to have an understanding when we're looking for foster care and the support for those cats that we do our best efforts to understand the, uh, the history of the area where those cats are coming from. So if you're talking like a new development, new suburban development where the houses are like three to five years old and you're dealing with kittens in that area, you're going to have pretty great success with those kittens. And I think you could probably go up to 16 weeks and you'd probably be pretty successful turning those kittens. Um, I think that, um, and, and mom cat probably is, is a house cat that mom, you probably would be able to turn. But if you're dealing with like an industrial area where you know, these cats, you know, have been here and people have been feeding them for years, you know, just be aware that you might want to have a little bit more experienced foster home when it comes to socializing feral cats and the mom cat most likely is going to go back. Dan, there's, there's been a lot of research recently that talks to the DNA changes that actually happen within humans and animals. And when you get, you know, different traumas and stuff, it actually can change some of your DNA, which then gets passed on, which I think would kind of lead credence to this, that, Mm. you know, the longer you have further, the animals further away from being domesticated, it, the harder it's going to be because now it's kind of in their DNA to yeah. some degree. It totally makes sense. Um, so I guess my next question would be, you said that you started opening up the shelters to be able to take in the cats from the public that are, you know, oh my God, we're moving tomorrow and, and we don't have anything we can do or whatever the case may be. How did you do that and not get so overwhelmed that you had staff quitting all the time because they had nowhere to go with these cats? Yeah. So, you know, we um, were always trying to run the numbers so the the population was not super high in this environment. Uh, It was, you know, we were serving a total population of about 125,000 people. Um, And we were, again, very diligent in our messaging with the community. We were sending press releases out like all the time and putting the word out that, you know, we were there for the community. um, But we were also, you know, we we worked together. So it was a very much of a limited admission mentality, if that is 
language that that you both understand oh, the limited do. admission mentality. We, we absolutely do. <laughs> Which was, but it's saying, okay, you know, we're going to evaluate the situation. We're partnering. We're working together. Everything that that we were doing in that organization was a two way street. It's it wasn't like a this is a me only problem. This is a we problem. And we're going to, or we challenge lot. I don't like using the word problem. It's a challenge. And we're going to work together to problem, to, to solve this, this challenge that we have. And so, you know, again, I would do, I would get all the information on the cat ahead of time, as much information as possible, you know, obviously evaluating if it's an urgency, urgent situation or not hit by car cat, urgent coming in, you know, moving situation, depending on the date and the time. But we've communicated like we would we would put out there we were we're in a beach community so there was a lot of turnover August the end of August used mm. to be very busy for us and that's when all of our foster homes wanted to be on vacation for you know the, the September holiday or they're getting ready for their kids to go to school or whatever so we would we would start really saying in July like if you think you're going to have some challenges with regards to the cats your cat or whatever, please reach out to us ahead of time so we can work on these issues if it's an abandoned friendly cat that's out there. We would sometimes also do the room at the end plan, which is we would get the cat if it's a friendly enough cat. We would get the cat, we'd get it spayed or neutered, we'd vaccinate it, we'd tip it, we'd put it back. And if we had to, we'd wait a couple of months. We'd go back, we'd get the cat, we'd monitor, the community would monitor the cat, the neighbor would help watching on the cat for a couple of months. Then we bring the cat in and put the cat up for adoption in November when our census numbers were down. So, you know, very case management style, I guess I would call it. Okay. Tomahawk Live Trap has been manufacturing humane animal capture and handling equipment since 1925. They work directly with animal control officers around the world to develop and improve their products so that they're as safe and efficient as possible. Save 10% on your next order by using discount code DCACREPORT. Visit them online at www.livetrap.com or call them at 1-800-272-8727. I want to jump in really quick. You know, I sent you this uh, brief article about a bill being proposed in Texas and I'm going to read it just so our listeners have some uh, backstory on it. Wish me luck here, Bishop. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) So this is from the Texas Humane Legislation Network. On March 6th, Senator Judith Zaffarini, I like that name, filed Senate Bill 1682 and Representative Cody Basalt filed House Bill 3660 to clarify that TNR programs in Texas are not considered abandonment under the Texas Animal Cruelty Law. Currently, there is a request for an opinion before an attorney general, Ken Paxton, to determine whether TNR programs conflict with the animal cruelty section on unlawful abandonment. No Texan should go to jail simply for participating in a TNR program like those which have been around for decades, said Representative Basalt. I appreciate my local district attorney and animal welfare groups bringing this issue to my attention. We applaud Senator Zaffarini and Representative Basalt for filing this legislation to clarify existing law and ensure that TNR programs are not misconstrued and unlawful abandonment under the Texas Animal Cruelty Law is not weakened, said Shelby Baboski, Executive Director of the Texas Humane Legislation Network. We advocate in favor of TNR programs in Texas and have been proven time and time again to keep cat populations in our community humanely controlled. The Texas Humane Legislative Network was instrumental in passing the animal cruelty bill in 1997, then strengthening it for four four more times. And at no time did they ever consider that TNR was abandonment under the Texas animal cruelty law. 
TACA, which is the, or TACA, I'd like to say, is the Texas Animal Control Association, strongly believes that local jurisdictions are best suited to determine what programs and services are most appropriate for their individual communities, said TACA President Jamie Cantrell, friend of the show. Cities, counties, nonprofits, and individuals across Texas have chosen to utilize TNR for humane population management and any limitation on the use of this life-saving technique will set the animal welfare movement back decades in Texas. Texas Pets Alive has long championed ethical process of TNR knowing it saves lives, said Katie Jarl, executive director of Texas Pets Alive. TNR mission is to protect the life-saving efforts of animal welfare organizations and advocates to increase live release rates throughout Texas. Aside from saving the lives of tens of thousands of cats in Texas per year, the practice of TNR creates healthier communities by protecting from disease through vaccination and decreases the free-roaming cat population by stopping new litters from being born, born said Ed Jamison, who's the president of Texas Unites. So just, just talking about that, what was happening, what it sounds like is there's the way the law is written, the state law is the agency could be held liable for animal abandonment for putting these cats back out in the community. And I just wanted to chat, Stacey, like, is, have you seen or heard of anything like this before going on in other communities? Uh, Oh, uh, I can't name specific communities, but yes, this whole, the concept of is when you're, um, you know, the term TNR, some people say trap, neuter, release. Other people say trap, neuter, return. I am of the return world. Okay. Uh, and so, but by using that term release makes it sound like you are, you know, just releasing it. And so there is this, how far away is release to an abandonment, you know, thought. And so, yes, it's definitely a topic in a variety of other communities. I know there are some out in the Midwest where I have um, dealt with some folks that have reached out to try and change that, um, that legislation. Um, and we're actually working on putting together a presentation about, about this topic because it is, you know, really obviously important, um, very challenging to, to anyone when it affects the whole public as well as you know, animal control for sure ties the hands of animal control and you're, de- you're on the front lines, you're dealing with this conflict, but you're not allowed to present that as a uh, potential solution that you could help participate with. So, um, you know, I, I'm very, you know, supportive of allowing for, for TNR. I also just want to go on the record and say, if we did have enough spay neuter out there for our own community, our own cats and dogs, uh, the the number of TNR situations would go down dramatically. So it would be less of a contentious topic, I think, than if, you know, if we just had enough spay neuter out there. And I understand it's a multifaceted challenge that we're faced with, but I, I'd love to encourage us all to focus as much of our efforts in growing that part of the um, of this package that we have here with regards to animal welfare in the country. Um, Can I ask you too, yeah. like what, uh, not being in the specific, profession as law enforcement, yeah. like a lot of our, our listeners, what is your take on mandatory spay and neuter for your communities for dogs and cats? It's a, it's a great question because, um, I worry about legislation tying the hands of, of us in certain situations. So, I mean, obviously I guess I could say well, I'd be supportive of mandatory spay and neuter 
except for the case where it impacts the health and well-being of the animal or something like that um, as determined by the veterinarian. But obviously that also impacts the conversation about uh, breeding and, you know, there are animal welfare organizations, certainly in New England, that will have a pregnant cat go to term, a pregnant dog will go to term so that they have kittens to adopt out, you know, in the community. So sure. I think that um, mandatory spay neuter is probably um, not going to move the needle for us because we do have so many challenges with the veterinary shortage out there right now, as we well do. as the uh, vet tech, you know, vet tech shortage. Um, so just to sort of have a magic wand and say that everybody has to be spay neutered, well, that how are we going to get there? That ha question has to be answered before you sort of make that type of, uh, of a legal declaration. I just think there's so many challenges about half the high volume spay neuter clinics, um, have closed up or have cut back their hours significantly since COVID. So when we used to have quite a few high volume, um, high quality spay neuter clinics out there that had affordable pricing, um, those options are just extremely limited um, right now, or we are very compromised, I guess I would say. So that's hurting us. And that's what's making a lot of our populations increase um, in, you know, and our, and our feral cat colonies are increasing out in the community, which is uh, really heartbreaking for the folks that are on the front line. I get that. I, I guess I'm going to, Bishop, don't laugh. <laughs> I said, don't laugh. <laughs> I know the answer to this. I'm still going to ask it anyway. Yeah. Good grief. Why don't we tee in our dogs? Oh, well, you're, you have a, you're a big mystery dog. I'll, I, can, I, I can say I, uh, I, I'll take the fifth on that one, but um, think about it. No, yeah, I mean, no, we, we they talk do. About over they certainly we, do in other parts of the world. And the one thing yeah. that the Community Cats podcast is really very focused on is is not just saying that the Community Cats issues are just to the United States; it's worldwide. So I want to I want to look and learn um, from. I mean, the Portugal passed a law saying that you know they, you can't euthanize uh cats in shelters due to health issues and so that, and they're trying to allow tnr but they didn't provide enough spay neuter resources and so you know it, it was one but of i want to go back to the i want to go back to the dogs yeah i want to go back to the dogs i mean tnr it, and dogs is done on a worldwide level right sure. so we yeah. talk about uh like this country having a, an overpopulation issue and we talk about some of the no-kill movements and things of that nature right like let's get them out of the shelter let's just free some dogs the reality is like, is it just be like, help me with this. I know the answer, but like, I want, I want to hear it from you. Like, why are we not TNR and dogs in this country? Right. Well, I would say I, I'm also a firm believer of the fact that the solutions for solutions for dogs are not necessarily the solutions for cats. Solutions for cats are not necessarily the solutions for dogs. Um, we certainly, you know, we have dog licensing, which is a, is a different, that's been entrenched behaviorally in the country for, for dog licensing and, and dog ownership and dogs behave, you know, certainly in a different way. They're, they're just different animals than, than cats. And so, um, you know, I am not a hundred percent. Uh, I mean, I know that there are some spot areas of the country where there are scenarios where TNR of dogs for short term might be viable, but, and, and again, at the end of the day, that colony is going to atrophy away if they're all sterilized, right? Sure. So sure. it would be a successful model. Um, I just don't know if uh, the United States mindset is comfortable with that idea. 
What is Bishop, what's your take on that? I think that there's a whole lot of reasons for it. Um, number one being that people see cats as more of a species that should be allowed to roam, that they are um, not as much of a family friendly pet as believed, you know, kitty litter was only created to be in homes in what the fifties. Yep. Um, yep. And so wow. people don't see animals as or cats as being in the homes, which is why like in my state, my regulations are all about rabies vaccines for dogs and licensing for dogs because these are the animals that are in our homes. I think you also have the problem of I don't want to be seeing dogs roaming around. I want to be picking those dogs up because when you get a bunch of dogs together, you get that pack mentality going. We just talked to a uh, to American Samoa, right? Yeah. When they pack mentality, yeah. Like that is a much larger danger. The dogs are going to be a much larger danger to mm. humans and to human life, really, than a cat is. Because typically, you're not going to have a cat short of cornering it in a place it can't get away from attacking a person versus the potential there for a dog. And the dog has the potential there to kill a person. I would agree with that 100%. I mean, both can carry disease, right? And mm -hmm. I think that's the, the main answer is the, yeah. the public safety aspect of the dogs. I had to ask it, though. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I think public health is an important issue for cats and dogs, too, because by in uh, another component with regards to TNR is you get these cats all with a um, rabies vaccine. They're providing a barrier to other animals that could be carrying rabies that's a, there's a line of defense there um, to the, the community. So that's another positive reason for having um, vaccinated community cats. Stacy, I'm going to interject here, Dan. Um, I was taking a look at our questions and we actually have one from Gary Robert Bickford. Shout out Gary. And he asked, uh, are there any statistics on the effectiveness of TNR programs for actually managing the population? I know you guys kind of, you guys were talking about at least two cases earlier. He says, I'm also located in central Texas right by Austin and the county I work in is looking at trying to implement a TNR program. So do you have any actual statistics you can give Gary? Uh, so yes, um, obviously there's lots of, of case studies out there. Um, and there is a re return to field and targeted TNR webinar that we have up on our um, YouTube page at the Community Cats Podcast. It's a free webinar and it will run through, uh, Brian Cordes of Neighborhood Cats will run through scenarios of, I believe, six communities that he did uh, help fund TNR programs. And these communities were like the city of Baltimore. Um, wow. and Phoenix, Arizona, and, okay. you know, that kind of thing. Jacksonville Humane Society, if you Google Feral Freedom Program in Jacksonville, Florida, um, they had a tremendous, they were one of the first organizations to implement a, a TNR as well as return to field program. And um, so the statistics are there. Uh, 
Rick Ducharme, Peter Marsh, Brian Portis, those three worked to develop that program at Jacksonville Humane. So if you can find that as a, as a Googleable thing, I guess I would say. Um, and yeah, so I'll make sure that you have the link to that webinar recording in the show notes. So folks okay. can pull that up. Uh, but it's really great to see that there are some very large communities with um, significant success with this kind of a program. It's great. Awesome. What, what do you want our listeners to know in the aspect of like just your movement and like how, I guess uh, the best way to say it is like, how do we, like what resources other than like the webinars can you provide to our, our listeners to help if they have a program that they want to start, but they need some assistance? Sure. So if you, if you have a program that, that, or that you want to start, or say there's a group of two or three of you and you're looking at starting a, a new program, a new nonprofit in your community, you're just doing it on your own, or even if you are an individual just doing it on, on your own, um, I highly recommend you know checking out one of our events. We do have a Facebook group that has about 2,500 mm. followers. It's the online cat conference community, and it's a it's a invite only. We're well, not invite only, but it's an invitation group on Facebook and. I highly recommend you join it because that's where the most technical questions come out. Um, you know, some folks will say, Hey, I'm a beginner. What are, what are the biggest tips that you want to offer for beginners? And then the other people will say, you know, my drop trap did blah, blah, blah. And they'll have a whole slew of comments. So it's really a very great resource for folks that are, are serious. What's the about name DNR. of the, the group in it's on called, Facebook? Uh, online, online cat conference community. And that's on Facebook. And that's on Facebook, right? And then we do have the Community Cats podcast uh, Facebook page. That's a general Facebook page. Um, we're also on Instagram. We're on Twitter. Uh, pretty much, you know, anywhere and everywhere. We do have a newsletter that comes out uh, once a month, and you can sign up for that just by hopping on our Community Cats podcast website. Uh, it's a great resource there. Then we have our Community Cats Grants program, which is for small TNR organizations that are looking to help grow their fundraising. We will mentor groups on a new fundraising initiative for a three-month year, uh, three month period of time. Um, and we match up to $2,000 raised for spay-neuter costs um, or spay-neuter equipment. At this point in time, we're so desperate for spay-neuter appointments that some of these smaller groups they're getting a private practice veterinarian to let them use their space on a Sunday and bring in volunteer vets and technicians to do just a mat, what we call a mash style clinic, just to get these surgeries done. Because honestly, we're not going to be able to move the needle if we don't have access to spay neuter. So I'm part of a group called the United Spay Alliance, which has a, a vet shortage task force. And there's a, a tab on their website on different ideas on how to be able to grow the number of appointments you have or the numbers of surgeries you can get access to because, you know, at the end of the day, the name of the game really is accessing that spay and neuter. Absolutely. I'm at the point of either we're going to go on for three more hours, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Because I feel like there's so much more information that we could get from. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, there's tons of information. And I think it's great to have the ability to chat about it. I mean, obviously, we've had you on once before. And maybe, you know, we can continue that that relationship. Yeah. Uh, again, I want our our listeners to know to go to communitycatspodcast.com. Uh, check out all the information that's there. I mean, I'm sure your contact information is right there in yep. the 
on the website. So if people have questions, they can direct them at you. I think yeah. it's really important as we, you know, it, as we really create an environment where animals are safe in the community, that's the important, I, I guess my, one of my last questions will be like, what are the biggest challenges dealing with communities of different socioeconomic statuses? So I'll, I'll probably rephrase that. You go into a richer neighborhood versus a poorer neighborhood. Where are you more accepted? Um, so you used a great phrase of like you go into, um, and that's the thing that I'm, I am, um, less inclined to do. I have done a lot of situations where I have done the, like you go into situation. I've gone into Fitchburg, Massachusetts. I've gone into Lowell, Massachusetts. I've gone into Chelsea, Massachusetts to try and create something that I think is the right thing for that community. And it has to be organically grown from within the community. So I may go in and try and find key players that could work together collaboratively to build something within their own community. But I'm not going to go in and do it. It's going to come from the residents in, in the town. It's going to come from those, those key stakeholders. And that's the only way you're going to create something that is sustainable. So um, I what I hope and dream for this world is, you know, even if it falls within like a meals on wheels program or a, you know, something outside of the box, your local library and you have a community cat resource area there or something. I mean, it it, it can be really out of anything, but it does need to be local first. And then those resources and tools that, that we will help provide as the initial base to start from. So we have our TNR certification workshops. That's the base. But now a lot of groups are doing their in-person TNR training after you've gotten your certificate at a workshop. So then it goes from this big regional down to the, to the local. And um, that's the only way you're going to get growth when it's neighbor to neighbor, you know, community member to community member. Um, And that's, that's where I'm trying to get people to turn their passion for cats into action is it's got to come from them. It's not us going in and imposing anything. I see what you're saying. I guess it's from the community. Like we, I think the more that people are aware, but I would challenge this, that like maybe people in a lower socioeconomic community doesn't even know that a program like this exists. So how do we bring it to their attention? Right. Well, they do if they've taken advantage of, um, of any programs that, you know, have been around tangentially. Um, I don't know from, from my standpoint, a lot of our TNR efforts have been uh, designed in a strategic way. So you will identify areas that have a higher number of community cats and, and help provide resources. Again, we've gone in to provide those resources and now it's trying to transfer over those resources in a, in a sustainable light into, into those communities. The secondary thought, though, is, okay, so you go into those communities, you're trapping those kittens, you're pulling them out, you're putting them in your adoption center, and then you're adopting them out for $300 into, you know, the folks living in the higher income areas, Um, you know, and and that has its own basket of sort of ethical quandaries and conversations, but it it could be considered, you know, sort of an uh, animal welfare redistribution, but you do not want to continue with those areas being your supply source 
for um, for adoptable cats and dogs. And I, I think we've had these conversations too about like the South and, and and other parts of the country where there's a lot of transport happening and what is the future vision of transport? A whole nother podcast conversation on <laughs> yeah. that one for sure. Um, but it's really great to, to see us thinking about like, well, what happens, you know, 20 years down the line? Um, you know, what, where, where are we sourcing our, our animals and what role, what role do we play? You know, we don't succession plan for it. And I love that. You know, you talk about these large organizations that want to make sure we, and I, and I appreciate it that want to make sure we, you know, aren't overcrowded or, or whatever, but at some point transportation, I, I hope to see this and maybe not me personally, but I hope that somebody sees that like we've gotten it so well in this country that we have to import animals from other countries because there's nothing for adoption. Like that's my goal. Yeah. And that's happening already. So, but it's not, yeah, but it's not, it's not needed. We were, yeah, yeah. We don't need it yet. That's trust me. Right. Like there's plenty of animals in this country. We don't need to bring dogs from uh, Portugal or Slovakia or, you know, Zimbabwe, yeah. wherever it may be. Like, let's worry about us first and then we can eventually get to that. So I agree. Well, this is, this is great stuff, uh, Stacy. We really appreciate you taking the time to come back on our show. Uh, please go check out the Community Cats podcast. And did you have anything else for our listeners before we wrap it up? Just want to thank everybody for tuning in and um, and listening to us and our, our conversation. Um, and if you certainly are animal control officer, I want to thank you so much for all that you do. Um, I know you are certainly a front lines person. And I just want to appreciate and say thank you. Um, I know it's been trying times. It continues to be trying times. But I am ever the optimist. And I believe that we will uh, grow and become more effective, efficient, and be able to serve the communities better and hopefully give you the tools to be able to serve the community better. So I want to thank you both for having me on the show. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you. Seriously, that's, that's awesome to hear. And we just... We, it's, it's great creating these, you know, I guess, pathways between all these different organizations and giving people opportunities to, you know, just have different resources, different tools that they're, they're, you know, at their ready. So thank you for being a great resource and a great, I would say like a advocate for, you know, what's needed in our communities. Yeah. I second what Dan said. And as always, we like to say, check out our website, keepithumane.com. For 10% off your next purchase, use discount code ACREPORT. And Bishop and I would like to say thanks for listening and keep it humane. 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 (laughs) We crushed that one.